Welcome to the Get Emergent podcast. Today, we're continuing our new series called Driving Leadership, which is aimed at demystifying leadership by having real conversations with leaders. You'll witness conversations with leaders from all walks of life and learn about what drives them to lead, their development stories, and about some current challenges they may be facing. I'm Bill Berthel, and joining me today is Jeff Knoss, the CEO and co-founder of Digital Hive. Jeff, welcome. Hey, thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an absolute honor to have you. It's, um, you know, I, I follow your leadership story, Jeff. I'm one of those LinkedIn stalkers, and you're so, you're so active there and doing so much. Congratulations on your recent Entrepreneur of the Year, Rochester, right? Did I just read that? Yeah, Bill. Thanks, man. I, it was completely unexpected, to be honest. I didn't know the organization prior to getting the award, and I had uh, Bob Menard, who was one of the board members, reach out and say, hey, you know, there's, there's been a vote and you've been <laughs> voted entrepreneur of the year. I'm like, well, that's awesome and confusing. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah, but nice. You've got an amazing organization. We're building mates. Our offices are in the same building. So I, I, I get to see you occasionally. I get to see your wonderful staff. You've got about 55, 60 full-time employees right now. I mean, amazing growth. Yeah, Bill. Like I think we're around 54, 55 employees right now. It's been crazy. We've been growing and it feels like growing every minute as well. That is awesome. And your organization has grown wonderfully. I know in 2018, Digital Hive was named as the 52nd fastest private growing company in the U.S. by Inc. Magazine. A lot of wonderful growth that certainly our community needs and embraces. Uh, so thanks. I really want to get to the place to understand why you lead. Like, what's your big why? What drives you to lead, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, you know, that's a big question, right? Trying to figure out why I get so much joy out of leading. And I think a lot of it drives from the people that I serve. The thing that I feel most gratitude for is the fact that over the last six years, we built this amazing team of 54 humans that they're all unique. They're all amazing individuals in their own way. And I just feel privileged to work with them every day. And so for me, what leadership really is, I think it's, you know, especially in the generation that I'm in and even the Gen Z folks, I think they look at leadership very differently than, you know, maybe uh, Gen X, baby boomers. What they expect out of their leaders is empathy and mm, compassion yeah. and understanding. Absolutely. Um, and for me, that's why leadership is so important to me is I, I truly do see myself as a servant leader. I love serving people. I've always loved serving people. I was, I, you know, my first job out of school, out of college, was a account executive at a TV station. And the most joy that I got out of it was going to a business, talking to them about their needs, saying, cool, we might be able to help your business grow through television. And then actually watching, you know, creating a TV commercial and watching their business grow because people are seeing their ads and walking into their store and buying sunglasses or whatever it is, right? Like sure. that to me has always been about serving others. And I think that when I truly get the most fulfillment is when I feel that I've done a really, really good job of helping others achieve their goals. And so that's why I love being a leader is because I have the freedom and flexibility to make decisions that impact others in a positive way. That's why I love leadership. Well, that's so awesome. Thank you, Jeff. It really telegraphs through and shows uh, you know, not only the performance of your organization, but certainly everything you're involved with. The list is too long. The list is too long to go into here. So I'm going to stack questions on you here for just a second. One, how do you do it all? 
and two, tell us a little bit about your leadership path, how you got here to begin with. Yeah, so I, I kind of go I'll reverse engineer that. I'll, I'll, I'll start from, you know, how I got here. As I mentioned, I started in broadcast television. You know, I was very, very fortunate. I went to SUNY Oswego on Proud Alum. And, you know, after school, I, I was actually a public relations major. And my <laughs> senior year, my second semester of my senior year, I realized that I really didn't like PR. Like that was not the path that I wanted to take. And mm -hmm. so that was a scary revelation. You know, my last semester of college, I didn't do any internships, shame on me. I wasn't all that motivated student, to be honest. I was really, I, I did all right. I think I had like a three, one, three, two, you know, whatever mm -hmm. GPA. Um, but I just wasn't that focused on my career. I didn't have a lot of business mentorship growing up. I came from a pretty lower middle-class family. I have two loving parents. I'm very, very fortunate. I had a great childhood, but we didn't have a lot of money and, and we didn't, you know, I didn't really see entrepreneurship around or even business leadership around me. It just wasn't in yeah. my family. It wasn't in my friend group. And so I didn't necessarily aspire to it, but however, I did have that driving need, as I mentioned, to serve others and yes. didn't know how that would manifest in a career. So I was fortunate enough. I sent out when I kind of graduated, I sent out 300 resumes in three months. I got two interviews off of that. Wow. Uh, and my second interview that I got was for that TV station. And I was very fortunate that I, I got that role. And essentially it was a sales job, you know, it was selling television advertising to companies that might benefit from advertising and wanting to grow their business. And, you know, sales was just never something that I even considered as a profession because I was so uneducated about what sales was. I thought it was kind of, uh, you know, the, the cliche, pushy used car salesperson, right? That's what so I thought. Many of us, right? So many of us have that image, don't we? And it's not the true image, right? It's absolutely not the true image. You know, sales at its best is really that servant piece, yeah. right? You're, you're helping others achieve their goals. And if you look at sales as a way to introduce a new product or service to someone that may not know about it, but has a need, you're really being of service to someone. And, and that's where I found, you know, that, you know, it's probably cliche in the sales world, but that consultative approach to being a salesperson where I wouldn't sell something unless it was right for the other person. I truly wouldn't. And I think a lot of people like to think that about themselves, but, you know, deep down in the core of me, I wasn't used to having a lot of money. So it was easy for me to walk away from, you know, that sale if I didn't think it was the right fit for them. And then what that led to was people really, you know, it's about building that trust, it's building relationships. And yeah, maybe I didn't get that sale because I walked away from it, but then other people would say, oh gosh, you know, Jeff is awesome. You know, he could have taken my money and he didn't. Hey, Johnny, who owns, you know, the, the other business that could benefit from that, you should talk to Jeff. And through that, I learned, you know, networking. I learned relationship building. I learned, you know, being ethical and, you know, having integrity in sales. And I think that that really helped to build my leadership ability as well. Right. Because then, you know, mm -hmm. I, I want when you're truly looking out for the other person, even more than your own interest, I think that's how you build a good reputation. Right. And Absolutely. so I did that job. I then left Rochester. I was in Rochester, New York at an ABC and CW affiliate. I left that because I wanted to become a manager. I took a management job at a NBC, CBS, and CW affiliate here in Syracuse. I was the local sales manager at CNY Central for about three years. Loved the job, loved my leaders. I had great leaders, great team, but I've always been passionate about digital marketing. I knew that that was kind of the future. I knew that I wanted to be more in that space. And really yeah. the only opportunity that I saw for myself was to go out and carve my own path just because that career path, you know, would have meant taking a step back and, and really the, the products and services that I wanted to 
create in the marketplace really weren't there in the media world. So fortunate enough to find a business partner in Jake Tanner, who's my co-founder. Met him while I was at the TV station at a networking event at the Tech Garden. Long story short, you know, we talked for a little bit and the funny story to that was him and I were having the conversation and we were having lunch, you know, a few years after we met each other. And I said to him, because he had his own consultancy business, it was focused on digital marketing. I said, gosh, if we were a younger man, we could have started this business together and we would have, you know, taken over the world. And he calls me the next day. He's like, dude, you, you realize we're pretty young still, right? <laughs> I was 28 at the time. And he was, I thought the guy was at least my age, maybe older than me, but he was only 24. I think he was real young. I didn't know that about him. And he has he's a beard. He's of maturity, right? Yes, maturity and, and, and the beard really threw me. So he calls me, but I'm like, dude, yeah, you may feel young, but I have a three-month-old at home. My yes. wife is staying at home with my three-month-old, so I'm the only income at the house. Yes. And yes. I quit my job, you know, with, a, with a, my first kid, you know, in diapers still. Mm. I don't know that's the best time to go off and start a new business. But after talking, we saw the market opportunity. I saw the potential in Jake and how brilliant he is and you know, took the risk and left and started our own company for the first 12 months. It was just the two of us in a 200 square foot office in downtown Syracuse, you know, and uh, it was a grind. It was a true startup. We made no money. You know, we lived off ramen noodles and just scraped and scrapped to get by. And then after that first year, we hired our first employee and went into a slightly larger office. And fast forward six years to today, now we have about 13,000 square feet across our Rochester office, our Syracuse office, 54 employees and have grown about 13,000% over the last six years. So it's been a wild journey. I love it, right? And I think so many of us, I, I'm gonna be bold and say, so many of us love the romance of that kind of story, right? That kind of startup story. It, it makes the impossible seem possible for us, but it's not without its challenges. It's not without its sacrifices. What current challenges are in your field and in your leadership? And Jeff, what are you doing to meet those? Because I think our listeners really want to understand from someone who's willing to take some risk, right? And has had some success. It doesn't come easy. What are the challenges? What are you doing to meet them? Well, I'll tell you, you know, Bill, you're right. And I love that you said the romanticism about it because the, everybody loves to talk about what I just said that, you know, two minute snippet of the business starting from nothing, growing into this thing. And we're still on that path to. And it's awesome. I mean, that is right. It's great. But what people don't know about is, you know, the 3, 4 a.m., you know, mm. nights that I'm spending literally every night working 80-hour weeks, mm. grinding, taking step backward to take step forward, you know, like taking big risks and, you know, having enormous amount of debt that's personally guaranteed by me and my family. Like, yeah. there's just a whole host of things that people don't think about. And that's okay. They don't have to. I think to your point, like they're looking to be motivated, inspired, wanting to go off and do, make the impossible possible. I love that you said that. But to your point, challenges galore. And I think, you know, the most obvious one is, is COVID, right? COVID is, has really shut down so much of not just our economy, you know, from the business perspective, but our lives. It's changed the way we think about you know, I just did a presentation recently on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. Everything from, you know, our basic needs of food and security and self-worth and relationships, all of those things have been challenged, destroyed 
by COVID, right? Food was scarce at times during this yes. pandemic. You know, basic needs, toilet paper, relationships. Uh, we couldn't see our family members. We couldn't go see, you know, a newborn baby that our, you know, our siblings. What a, the, we, there's just been so much change in our lives and change is really hard for humans, right? Our security really derives from our ability to have routines. And mm-hmm. so that obviously spiders out when we, in our personal lives obviously have a tremendous impact on our professional lives. And so it spidered out into this enormity of people losing their jobs, the economy suffering, businesses shuddering due to New York State pause and beyond. There's just been so much unrest and how that's affected us as Digital Hive is that, you know, the first most obvious thing is that our clients were closed. They didn't need to advertise because their doors weren't even open. You know, and the empathetic side of me is like, I'm a business owner as well. And I'm seeing all my friends, businesses and clients, businesses who we care deeply about uh, have to shut their doors down and and not know how to, you know, pay their employees and keep their staff on and feed their families. It was just a tremendously hard time from, from that effect, which then led to us, you know, having a decline in revenue. So that's the first thing, you know, which then turns into, well, I have to talk to my employees. I have to communicate. Not only do I have to communicate, I have to communicate remotely. We sent people home, right? So we sent people home even before it was mandated to do so because we wanted to get, you know, we want to keep people safe and all that stuff. And we thought, I remember, I remember specifically when, when it all broke, I said to uh, Sarah Mastrangelo, our VP of Ops, I said, you know, it's going to be crazy. And we might have to do this for two weeks. Can you imagine being remote for two weeks? This is nuts. <laughs> and here we are, what, six months later? Yeah. I mean, no one, no one could have guessed that, right, Bill? No, we I didn't. Mean, we didn't. We couldn't. Couldn't have guessed it. And so not only do I have a, a dramatically falling revenue top line number that I have to worry about. Not only do I have, you know, my staff is completely disrupted in their day to day. And, you know, some people are feeling really worried about their job. Some people are feeling really worried about their health. Some people are really worried about both. And it's probably yes. most people are worried about both. Right. So, you know, being a leader, I have to be the one to take the burden as much as possible to shield that concern and that risk and, and absorb all the information, synthesize it, and then come back to my team and instill some form of confidence wherever I can while also being transparent about the challenges we face. I think that's the number one thing that leaders right now have to be considering is that we can't completely shield our team from the dangers that we're facing. At the same time, you can't have them living in fear every day. That's also not productive. And so you need, you need to balance transparency with with showing the team the way forward. Mm -hmm. You need to develop, okay, things have changed. We had a budget at the beginning of the year, forget it. (laughs) We we had sales goals and revenue goals and client goals and all these things, forget it, it's out the window. Here's the new roadmap, guys. This is what, for the best of my, also it's changes every day. (laughs) Every single day, phase one, phase two, phase three, like nobody knows. So what I've tried to really stress is that over communication has been key. Every time that I think I'm communicating too much, I'm like, nope, I'm going to double down and do it more because I can't see you in real life. I can't see you in person. I can't sit you down, look you in the eye and be like, it's going to be okay. Right? So I've been sending out 
at the time when it first broke, I was sending out daily emails to people telling people, here's the, here's the clients that, you know, maybe have pulled back on their, their, you know, their budgets. Here's how it's affecting our revenue. Here's how it's affecting the team. Here's how it's affecting our game plan. When it first launched, we created a game plan. We said, all right, this is where we think we're going to go, but it's going to, we're going to have iterative versions of this because we don't know, but this is where we think we're going to be. And we just took those steps. We started executing against the roadmap. And then every time I felt like it needed to change, I'd change it, I'd communicate it in a very transparent way. And I would always tell people the truth. I wouldn't sugarcoat it. At the same time, I would say, while this is the danger, here's the opportunity, right? I also always tried to blend the danger of this is this, the opportunity is this. I'll give you an example. The danger of us losing, you know, this, we have a lot of car dealerships as clients. This major car dealership who is a client of ours is paused their budget because they need to close down. The opportunity, however, is that there's a lot of businesses right now that are going from, you know, a brick and mortar retail to online selling. What better way to market the fact that you just moved your physical brick and mortar store to online than digital marketing. So we're positioned really well because, you know, the teams that have been working on these clients, you can now, hopefully we can get some additional, you know, different types of clients now. We're going after that aggressively to find new people that may need our services. We'll take that team and then we'll move you over here and start working on this new business and this new revenue. So uh, I really tried to paint a, a realistic picture while also ensuring that the team knew where the path was headed. And I think that the team really appreciated the fact that we were very, very transparent. We were very communicative and nobody was left in the lurch and nobody was being pandered to. So I think that's also a danger is, is just being like, guys, it's fine. Everything is fine. Don't worry about it. Everything's good. And then boom, yeah, we have yeah. to do 20% of the team is gets laid off or something crazy like that. Right. Well, especially when it clearly isn't right. There's, there's plenty of change. One of the keys is this communication saturation, like, it may feel like over communicating, but you know, this is a time to really saturate your communication. And I'm also hearing Jeff that adaptability as a leader, it's about really being adaptable in this time of volatility, of uncertainty, of complexity and ambiguity. I hear those two keys. What else are you doing to meet these challenges? So I will say that our number one value is our people. Our yeah. number one value is our team. So that's the first real thing that I focus on because I feel like everything else falls in line you know, revenue and, you know, taking care of clients. If you, if you take care of your people, your people will take care of your clients. Right. So that's, that's how I knock down those pins. Yes. Um, and in that order, you know, certainly from the revenue standpoint, you know, mm -hmm. we were, we were impacted significantly. However, I'm very, very proud of the fact that our team came together and created solutions that we didn't have to lay off a single person during this time. I'm very, very proud of that fact. And it's because the team, got together and said, you know what, instead of one person hurting completely by losing their job, we're all going to take unpaid furlough time in order to supplement our time through this. So in the very beginning, what happened was we all took time and myself include everybody on the leadership team, every single person mm -hmm. took time unpaid in order to get through that really first hard month. Since that time, because we took that immediate step, we haven't had to let anybody go. And we actually are getting back to our pre-COVID levels. That kind of word. And so I feel really, really fortunate about that. But I think that the only way we were able to do that is we were really, again, we communicated. We said, here's the challenge. 
here's the options and this is my suggestion because this is living up to our values and we kind of left it to the folks to see how they felt and every single person said nope i'd rather everyone heard a little bit than one person heard a lot and that spoke volumes to me as the kind of team that has been built here at digital hive i mean what a culture what a culture yeah (laughs) yeah that's awesome. You can't fake that, Jeff. Congratulations. And I mean, congratulations to everybody on your team for being there. It sounds like authentically. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that unless you believed in it. That's, that's right. pretty and, Yeah. And, and, and all the credit goes to them. The, the leadership team, you know, they are top performers. They could have easily been like, well, you're not yeah. going to let me go. I'm like, I'm awesome <laughs> and I know it. So, you know, it's, this isn't, you know, this doesn't really affect me. But every single person raised their hand and were like, I'm willing to take a little bit of a hit. But I think that in order to earn that right, we've, it's kind of like we've been filling up the piggy bank, right? You can't ask something like that and expect that kind of response without the organization truly caring and taking care of the people every step of the way. And so that's really been our focus is it's been, that's why our team comes first is because when they need us, we'll be there for them. When we need them, they'll be there for us. And I think, that's been a true testament to the kind of people that we hire at Digital Hive. They're just more than just incredible marketers. They're good humans. And that's the thing I'm most proud of. Um, in terms of like creative and challenges and things like that, we got right in front of the PPP. We got right in front of EIDL. We have been on the forefront of finding opportunities and solutions to you know, right now cash is king, right? You want to make sure that you have enough, because you don't know. Tomorrow, we could find yeah. out that we're going into another round of quarantine and shutting businesses down. And right. so in order to weather that storm, we've tried to be really smart financially. We've taken a hard look at our expense line and slashed quite a few things in order to to, to kind of uh, build up that cash reserve, you know, mm-hmm. just in case we need it more than we have in the past. Our business is really, so because we've bootstrapped, we have no outside financing. And so our business really lives off of the cash flow. And so for us, it was important to say, all right, time out. Our MO typically is to take everything we get and throw it right back into investing in the business to continue on this growth pattern because growing 13,000% without outside financing is really, really challenging. But we've always just funded our our own growth. Now we've said, all right, time out. We're still going to make strategic investments, but we need to be a lot more cognizant about those and try to be a little bit more focused on cash reserves. And so, you know, that gets really tactical in the business standpoint, but I do think it's important for leaders to understand the holistic leadership concepts, but also leadership means understanding the tech, being a tactician as well and executing against that. Because you can't simply just have really nice ideas and, you know, communicate really well without also being a steward of the business. Love that. Love that idea. Jeff, you believe strongly in mentoring. And while you said you never took an internship when you were at that point in your education and early career, I know you support that immensely. I've seen some of the work you've done on social media in that space. I know in your own organization. What other advice would you give our listeners? Those early opportunities I know are very important to you. What else would you leave our listeners with from uh, an advice perspective in leadership? I will say, Bill, absolutely, first of all, that mentorship is key. And I was foolish not to get an internship because I learned very quickly that academia, while very valuable, is very different than, you know, getting in a business, right? And, and learning sure. on the job. Yes. So 
what I was very fortunate about is that because I've never been the best student, but I have a passion for learning, specifically learning business. Business is my hobby. So I'm fortunate in a way my brain is wired. It's no different than like if I were tried to, I don't know, pick a hobby that, you know, I'm sitting at my wife's makeup table. That's still where I'm at in this quarantine. Um, so, you know, if I were, my wife is passionate about watching makeup videos and tutorials and things like that. I have zero interest in it, right? If I tried to become a makeup expert, I would fail because my natural proclivity wouldn't be towards that. And I'd be forcing myself. So I think that's part of it is right. finding where your passions lie because it's really hard to go against your natural inclinations, right? So I was fortunate in that way because as when I first you know, got a job in, in TV, I found leaders that really helped me so much in understanding not just leadership, but just human behavior and psychology, how to treat your coworker, how to treat a client, how to treat you know, someone that has nothing to do with anything, but needs a little bit of help. And I think one of the most valuable things you can do in life is to help those that can give you nothing in return. Mm. Because it really teaches you a discipline about giving without expectation of receiving. If I could give one piece of advice on leadership, I think that that would be, it would be really, really focused on so much of business is transactional. So much of business is thought of like, all right, I'm going to do this thing. And in the short term, medium term or long term, it's going to come back to me in a very direct way. Transactional. I think that as business folks, there's been a monumental shift in the relational. And mm -hmm. relational is not a transaction. The best relationships you have are not transaction based. If you have a significant other, if you have a best friend, you don't do stuff for them and expect an immediate like, okay, well, like, what are you going to do for me? You do it because you care about the person. You do it because you want them to be successful. And I very much try to live life in its entirety in an abundance mindset. I think that, you know, I know a lot of people that, you know, live their lives in, in a scarcity mindset where there's not enough and it's like everything is a competition because you're trying to get yours. I wholeheartedly don't believe that. I think there is so much opportunity in the world, especially with our changing digital opportunities and technology. I think technology levels the playing field for folks that maybe don't have the advantage and don't have the privilege of coming from, you know, business acumen or wealth or whatever. I think there's opportunity to leverage technology to level the playing fields a little bit. And I think that there's just untapped potential in the way that there's no way that I'll ever be able to take so much of the world, nor would I want it, that it would leave so little for other people and vice versa. So in that way, I think that if we can start as business people and leaders to truly focus on the, how can I give as much value as possible without even the consideration of what is this gonna do for me? I think that that's gonna take us a long way. No, that resonates really strong. You and I are very aligned in that space, Jeff. I've recently been uh, certified in the leadership circle profile. Without going into great detail there, it is looking at the leadership competencies of relating in creative ways versus a reactive task base, right? That's that transactional versus 
dare I say, transformational. We can really have transformational interactions in our business through more intentional relationship and relating than looking at the transactional, what's in it for you, what's in it for me. Love that space. Love that space. That dovetails so nicely with your deeply held value of leading as a service provider, that servant leadership style. What other major motivations for yourself for what, you know, it's almost cliche, but what gets you up in the morning? Service of others, clearly very important. What else would you share with our listeners? Well, the first thing that gets me up in the morning is my family. You know, I, I think that that's, People, I think, try to delineate personal and professional too much. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. they try to say, oh, well, this is me as professional guy, Jeff. And then over here is family guy, Jeff. Right. Um, who I am is who I am. And I, and I, think, I think that uh, I, I really hope that we as humans, and maybe COVID will help this, because we're seeing each other so much more intimately, even this, right? Like, you're yes. in your home. I'm in my home. You're seeing my house. You and I would have never probably saw each other's home without this. You know, you might hear my kids in the background. Right. It's a this weird thing of like, I think people try to hide the fact they have personal lives almost. That was like almost esteemed in the business world or looked on like it was a, a value, right? Um, yeah. I love being a dad. It's so much more rewarding than anything else in my life will ever be. And I have no shame in saying that. That's awesome, uh, yes. You know, so... I think that that's why I wanted to start there is because so much of my why as a human and what I do things, whether it's, you know, my own personal and professional goals or it's my volunteerism or wanting to better said, I think is, you know, my, my why behind why I want to help change trajectory for generational poverty for so many people. Mm -hmm. It's because I look at myself and my, history and my context and kind of, you know, my paradigm. I look at my kids. I see how very fortunate they are because they have two loving parents that would do anything for them. And we also are, are privileged in, in so many different ways that other people don't have. And, and I just want to, I, I, a big core value for me is fairness. And so to help people find some equity, you know, in life in general, I'm very passionate about it. So why I get up in the morning, you know, so much of that is driven from my family in a lot mm-hmm. of different perspectives. So that's one. And then from the business side, I would say that I definitely show up for my people. I would say that's my number one. I show up because I need to know a hundred percent that they know that I'm there for them and that I'm all in on digital hive, their career growth, their families, right? Like I'm here for them. And also I think I don't say it enough, but I genuinely, I mean, I alluded to it earlier, but like, I love our clients. And what I mean by that is, you know, not in the cliche way. I love our clients because they give us money. So we have a business, right? Like that's, I do love that. I very, very, very much grateful for that. But also there's this tremendous, like in business, everybody has clients, whether you're a consumer product good and your clients are customers that buy your stuff off the shelf. If you're right. a B2B company, you have clients in the traditional way that I'm probably talking about, but everybody has some form of way they make money from other humans. And so in that respect, I think that we all need to take that responsibility of, look at, I talked to somebody, they said, I trust you with my money. I trust you with my resource. I trust you with my time. I'm giving that to you. And in return, I expect whatever. I expect a return on my investment. I expect higher brand awareness. People to know more about me. I expect 
for you to make more money back for me. I expect for you to make a better life for me. Whatever the goal is of why you're giving me money, I take that responsibility very seriously. I've always taken that responsibility because I know how much money matters to people, right? It's how we live our life. It's how we support our family. It's how we achieve many of our goals. And so I think that I really try to emphasize into our team because you get a little jaded, right? You're like, oh, this client, blah, blah, blah. They're such a pain. They're giving us money in Mm -hmm. order to help their business grow. And they expect that. And we have set that expectation that we're going to do that. So just show up for them and do the right thing and do whatever it takes to execute on that. And I think that if you take the, if you kind of change the way you think about your responsibility to other people, you start to see the value from that. You start to see the value coming back to you, right? Because if you genuinely care about who you're serving, they'll see that they'll appreciate it. Even if you don't even execute, even if you don't live up to that goal, they'll see that you put the effort in. And I think so much of our livelihood is in, is in caring for others. Beautifully said, Jeff. I really appreciate that so much. I feel like you've given us so many, so many pieces of leadership brilliance. You know, maybe the term advice isn't quite right, but what haven't we covered today that you'd want the listeners that are tuned in to our podcast today that are either aspiring to be leaders or are current leaders in their organizations and communities, top piece of advice. If you want to be a leader, you have to love people. Yes. Yes. I think that's the top thing I can say. If you want to lead others, you have to love them first. Awesome. And you have to love their whole selves. You have to love their insecurities, their weaknesses, because if you don't, you won't ever truly understand them, and then you won't be able to lead them. The way that I lead a manager on the team in this department is going to mm-hmm. be way different than I lead a different manager in a different department because they're two different people. Right. Their jobs may be similar, but they're different people. They have different aspirations. They have different ambitions. They want different things for their life. So I have to know that, and I have to tailor myself to them. It's not the other way around. I think so often we think a leader is like, oh gosh, I'm going to talk to my boss. Okay, what am I going to say? And how am I going to position this? And blah, blah, blah. Like, certainly there is there an element of managing up? No doubt, right? We're all human. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think the very best leaders are the ones that are able to understand that I need to cater myself. I need to take all of the bag of whom I am, all the good stuff, all the bad stuff, all my strengths, all my weaknesses. I need to tailor that up. And then I need to customize it to each individual person I lead because if I don't, they're not going to be receptive. They're not going to hear me. They're not. So what's the point? They're going to be resistant to it. They're going to be defensive to it. So what's the point, right? If I can truly show them that, hey, I'm giving you some hard feedback right now, but it's because I really give a shit about you, then they'll embrace it, right? If they truly feel that way. But you can't do that unless you love them. You can't because they're going to see that it's a facade. You're, they're going to see people are smart. They're going to see that he's only saying that because he wants me to do X for him. If it's a self-serving request, I'm just not going to be as invested. might work over the short term. But I think that, you know, consistency in caring is probably my top advice. Jeff, I'm so thrilled you went there. You and I are very aligned in these places in the philosophy of leadership. 
leadership is love in action, isn't it? And if we love people, we can always find something to love about every single person in our organization and community and then lead from that uh, very dynamic, powerful platform. Jeff, thank you so much. Thank you for everything you've shared today. I've certainly grown from it and I certainly hope our listeners grow from today as well. Truly, thank you. Thank you, Bill. It's been a great conversation. I appreciate all that you're doing for our community in terms of helping leaders become better leaders. It's great. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I want to remind our listeners to revisit our podcast of Driving Leadership right here on the Get Emergent podcast, where we'll continue the conversations with a new leader every month. And uh, come back for more leadership content with Cindy Massengill and Ralph Simone, where they discuss real leadership challenges in a practical, comprehensive, and relatable format. Thank you.